The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Changing your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with Editor-in-Chief Amy Newmark. Hey, it's Amy Newmark, and it's Friend Friday on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. Today, we are talking to Linda Newton, who is one of our regular contributors and always wows me with the advice and observations in her stories. Today, we're going to talk about forgiveness and how it has played a very constructive role in Linda's life and in her work as a counselor. Linda Newton has worked as a pastoral counselor for a growing church in California for the past 30 years. Whether she is counseling, speaking at women's retreats, or writing, she loves to help people find hope and strength. She has written three books and also has been published by Lucky Us at least 10 times. Her fourth book will be published in January. It's called Tech Pact or Tuned In, Finding God in a Digital World. And it's a book that builds a case for readers to slow their digital role to connect with the people right in front of them and their deeper selves. You can find Linda and her blog online at www.lindanewtonspeaks.com. So Linda, thank you so much for coming on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. It is my pleasure. So I love the fact that you're a counselor because you have not only the wisdom from your own life experiences, which you talked about in our forgiveness book, but also all the experience that you have from listening to all the personal revealing stories of, I guess I would call them your clients, your patients, whatever you call them as a counselor. Are they clients, patients? What are they? I call them clients. My okay. daughter's a counselor as well, but she calls them patients, but I love doing what I do. I've done it for the last 30, almost 40 years now, and I just, I love it. Well, that's good. And you had this amazing story. Well, you had two stories in our Forgiveness Fix book. This one called The Path to Forgiveness has some amazing wisdom that you figured out for yourself and also some amazing wisdom from a guy who we will call Bubba. So yes. <laughs> let's, start out, let's start out with what you figured out about yourself that you talked about in the story. My mother was very physically and very verbally abusive. So the journey to forgive her was not an easy one. And I got insight from one of the oddest places. My children had on the new candid camera. And a setup was that a, a clerk would, a fake clerk would pose behind a counter and post a sign that says, we don't make change. So in shuffled this large guy with tufts of hair. And if he had a name on his belt, it would have read Bubba. And Bubba shuffles over to the counter. He puts a few items down, hands the man a $20 bill. The man puts the 20 in a drawer. And then, he, and then Bubba said, uh, excuse me, you owe me change. And, and the fake clerk says, oh, we don't make change. And then Bubba just turned and walked out of the store. 
And, of course, we as the viewer are thinking, how can he do that? He's owed a significant amount of change. So the fake clerk walks over, taps him on the shoulder and says, excuse me, sir, we owe you change. And, and Baba said something I just could not forget. He just said, you know, I realized a long time ago that I don't rent space in my head to nobody. And in that moment, I realized I was renting far too much space in my head to my mom for far too little results. And that made a decision in my life to let it go and do the work it took to forgive her. Yeah, it, it's amazing. I was talking to my daughter about colleagues, you know, something the other day, and I said to her, you got to stop making that person relevant to you. Yes. Sounds a little mean, but just make that person not relevant. I mean, that's one approach. But your approach also is to recognize the prison you stuck yourself in by thinking about your mother over and over and over again. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Choosing not to forgive allows us, allows that person to continue to harm us as we just endlessly ruminate about the offense. And the truth is they don't deserve that much power in our head. And we're miserable. We need a happy life. In recovery, they always say resentment or unforgiveness is me drinking poison and hoping you die. And that is uh, the truth. I want to live there. I want to live in freedom. So that's why I choose to forgive. And that's incredibly important. I think if somebody just says to themselves what Bubba said, that he's not going to rent space in his head to somebody. Now, the other story that you put in Chicken Soup for the Soul, the forgiveness fix, was about the value of making an apology. And I thought that was so important to include in our book because we have stories about how you can forgive someone who did you wrong. We have stories about forgiving yourself. But also, sometimes you need to make the apology and also be a gracious receiver of an apology. So let's talk about that story. It's called An Unexpected Blessing. I had an unusual experience. I call it almost miraculous. I had picked up the phone one evening, and it was our landline. People don't usually call on our landline, so I thought it odd. And the woman said her name was Janet Rhodes. That's not her real name. But she said that, you know, she started talking to me, and I am rifling fiercely through the files in my brain to figure out who who is this. The voice was vaguely familiar. The name was faintly familiar. And then she finally said, I called because I'd like to apologize to you. As soon as she said that, my mind flashed back 20 years earlier. I was a young teacher. I was just trying to find my way, and um, I had to discipline her daughter. I really liked her daughter, but clearly her daughter did not like to be disciplined. Well, that afternoon, Mom flew into my classroom and was screaming and yelling at me and saying that I didn't love my students, that I played favorites, that her daughter didn't deserve to be disciplined. And, you know, all the teachers could hear, my principal could hear, and I was devastated. Now, I managed not to cry in front of her, but as soon as she left, I sobbed, and I sobbed all evening. I didn't sleep that night. I sobbed all night. But at that point, you know, it was really challenging. I was new to what I was doing, and it was hard. It sort of affected the other parents because she was a talker. It, you know, I went to talk to my principal. It was very hard on me at the time, but I worked through it. And here I am now 20 years later, I get this phone call 
And, well, two things flashed in my head. The first was, wow, I have not thought about that in over two decades. And at that point at time, when it was in my life, it just affected me so much. But I realized that I had done the work in me. I had sorted through, taken the criticism, taken what was good, let go of what wasn't. I did love my kids, and I was fair, and I was fair to her daughter. And so I received that, and I, instead of moving to self-loathing, I moved to a place of, you know what, I'm okay. She's got an issue. I can't let that impact me. And the second thing was how brave this woman was after 20 years to find me and hunt me down and give me a call to apologize. So when she asked for forgiveness, I said, of course, but then I told her, I have to tell you, you're a hero to me because she could have just forgotten about it. But then she thanked me so much for graciously receiving this. Will you forgive me? And I said, yes, of course I would. Who wouldn't after that kind of bravery? So it was a story that ended well, but it had already ended because I ended it in me years earlier. Yeah, because you did what Bubba said. You didn't give that woman any space in your brain, but you were over it almost right after it happened. But she was sitting there waiting to make that apology for 20 years. So how liberated did she feel after she called you? It must have been an amazing experience. No kidding, really. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So because you are a counselor and you've written so many wise stories for us, I want to come back after the break and move on to the other thing that I think is essential for happiness besides forgiveness. And the other thing is gratitude. So let's take a break and come back and talk about gratitude. We're back with Linda Newton, and we're talking about her many chicken soup for the soul stories. Linda, you've actually touched on what I believe are the two keys to happiness in our books. You've touched on forgiveness and you've touched on gratitude. And you told a great story in Chicken Soup for the Soul, Think Positive, about how you taught your son to use gratitude. That is one of my favorite stories, Amy. My son was this beautiful young man sandwiched in between two sisters that adored him with loving parents, but he just had this penchant for finding the negative in everything. Some temperaments are just wired that way. So here he was, nine years old, and we scrimped and saved on our budget, and we were determined that we were going to take him to Disneyland for two days. We did Disneyland to death, and we rode every ride. So here we are in the hotel room. It's the day after his birthday, and I say to him, Jake, did you have fun? And his comment to me was, Pirates of the Caribbean was closed. And I thought, oh, I said, Jacob, we stood in line for two hours to ride Space Mountain. We, we, we watched the haunted house three times. I said, buddy, you know, all you could think about is what you didn't get to do. And that just did it. I was determined. I was going to shape this temperament, whatever it took. So my research, if I had the internet, I would have blown it up looking for research, but I found some great research that his temperament needed order and sensitivity. And I realized why I wasn't able to help him change because my temperament was suck it up, cupcake, there can't be anything that bad. And so it was the wrong approach. The approach was to listen to him and to let him talk. So he came home from school. He did his usual lament about how everything was negative. And the key was to wait 
to wait and help him craft him, ask him what happened good, and then wait to hear it. Because, of course, what am I going to hear? Nothing. And so I, I heard nothing, and literally I waited 15 minutes on the side of his bed until he could tell me what was positive. Now, this became a vigil that we did over and over again, and now he is an accomplished musician in Los Angeles, and that is a high risk, you know, it's an environment where he has to face rejection a lot, and he does it. So you can find him at sleepingwolfmusic.com, and you will be very impressed. So it worked. Now, what happened on Mother's Day after a year of this vigil we did of helping him see the positive, I got a Mother's Day card, and it said, uh, the optimist sees the cup half full. The pessimist sees it half empty, and mom sees it as one more thing that she has to wash because the kid is too inconsiderate to do it. When I got that Mother's Day card, I realized he got it. He got it. He, we have to see the cup half full, and it took a while for him to get to that place. You know, I love that about gratitude. I've done a couple of books with Deborah Norville about gratitude, and she had read a lot of the research. And we always talk about the fact that you don't have to be born with gratitude in your natural skill set. You can actually add it on just through practice like you did with him every single night for weeks until it became more a natural part of him. I just love the fact that that's like an add-on character trait that we can all use. And boy, is it useful. Yes, it is. So there's one more story I want to talk about before we end, just because you've written so many great stories for us. Like, I looked at the list of stories, and I, you know, I've published tens of thousands of stories, and yet I remembered every one of these stories when I saw the synopsis. There's one in particular I really want you to share because it's about pets, and we all love pets, and it's about how the pets in your household have their own special relationship. Can you tell us your story called Our Own Incredible Journey, and it's from Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Cat Did What? Great story. We had this precious pet that we got after our second child was born, Lacey. She was the sweetest dog you could ever imagine. We went to the pound to save her. And so she always just seemed so grateful for that. Now we moved to the mountains and there's a lot of wild animals here and snakes. And so we got a couple of feral cats because we heard that would be great if you lived in the mountains. We were worried, how is Lacey going to adapt? She was wonderful. She loved the cats. They slept on her bed with her. They ate out of her bowl. They were all best friends. Well, as Lacey grew older, I began to notice something. And I guess her hearing, her hearing was going, but I, I thought maybe she might have dementia. So I took her to the vet because she just seemed to be disoriented. And the vet said, yes, dogs can get dementia. So we needed to keep an eye on her because here we are living at the end of the world. And so we kept her in the house and I recruited the teenagers to keep an eye on her. And I said, now we can't let Lacey out unless we go with her. Well, one night, as happens, there was a million teenagers at my house and they're all coming and going and coming and going. And finally, at the end of the evening, we realized Lacey was nowhere to be found. So we took flashlights, we combed the hillside, no dog. We waited the next morning, and then everybody joined the search. We just, you know, looked and looked. Finally, we had to go to work and school, and so we just all waited for Lacey to come home. No Lacey that night. It was Saturday morning. It had been two days, and we're all getting ready to go do the, this one has to go to work, and this one to music practice, and I look, 
at the end of our long driveway, and here comes Lacey, flanked on either side by a cat. And literally, they're nuzzling her, and they're bumping up against her to keep her on the path, and they brought her all the way home. Now, I had not realized that they hadn't been gone. They tended to go and hunt, and so I'd kind of lose track of them, and they seemed okay. But I realized those cats left the minute we lost Lacey. I bet they were combing the hillside looking for her. Whatever the case, they were the ones that brought her home. And my son looked up and said, Mom, look, we've got our own incredible journey. I love that story. And with that, we will close. I'm just so thrilled to have finally gotten to speak to you in person after publishing your stories for so many years. So thank you so much for having joined us today on the podcast. Thank you, Amy. It is my pleasure. I love being part of this chicken soup family. Oh, well, that's great. I'm Amy Newmark. Thank you for listening to Linda Newton and me today on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. And you'll find our new book about forgiveness at Walmart, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and wherever else you like to get your books. Look for the cover with two little boys walking down a wide open road to their futures. I can just imagine that they're brothers or cousins or friends who had a little spat and then made up. Come back next time for a couple of stories from our new Christmas book, that prove that the best and most memorable holidays are usually the ones when something went terribly wrong. If you like a good turkey disaster story, this episode is for you.